welcome to another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon Theologians. Theologians. Recording in progress. Trying to do that no sync again. It's hard because she doesn't have any click track so that you'll know when she's coming in. Oh, well, we'll try to do that nasal sync. That sounds like something awful that you would get after being in a foreign country. Oh, I've got nasal sink. <laughs> I better take some nasal zinc. My nasal sink. That's probably good. I bet they got a spray for that. Yep, yeah, I think they're working on a spray for everything. They are. I'm also hoping that they have a spray for added memory as we're getting older. Years ago, I'm thinking back in the 70s, I'm remembering that they did create some sort of a, a nasal spray that you would spray in before you went into some sort of a learning process. And the acuity of mine was so immense. And I don't know whatever happened to it. I didn't hear of it again. Hmm. I'm sorry. I was looking at my phone. I, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't very alert. <laughs> Oh, you should be alert because we need more alerts. Yes, we do. Uh, and that kind of brings us to our topic. We were talking about old age and stuff like that. And it's becoming more difficult for me to be more alert these days. I'm uh, going to need that new GPS uh, tracker device thing that you were talking about. I mean, the what? one that tells you not only where you are, but why you went there. Precisely. That's yeah. the one I need. You walk into the room and you stand there and you're looking around and you're going, Okay. I know I, I, I know I, no. <laughs> yeah, I'll find that I'll go in the pantry and go, now I needed the fridge. <laughs> go to the fridge, now it should have been the freezer. <laughs> Open the freezer, no, it was the pantry. <laughs> yeah, we need some alertness. Well, how do we define alertness? How would you define it? Well, if we look at the opposites, you know, we could certainly think of being unaware. Okay, yeah. Or another way to look at it is uh, not being complacent. Mm -hmm. But we can also say that alertness is being aware of that which is taking place around you so mm -hmm. that you might have the right response to it. Oh, I like that. That gets a little deeper into motive of alertness, I guess. Right. And when I think of alert, one of the first things that, that came to my mind was thinking of sentries on patrol. Mm. You know, they're out there guarding the gate. They're guarding the wall. Got to be aware that there could be some sort of a threat at any moment. Mm -hmm. So they you know, have to be totally alert all the time. If you're a sentry on patrol, you better be aware of what's going on. Got to be alert. That's a, a visible representation of alertness that I can grasp because I think of that, especially with the sentry idea. That's a good, uh, good analogy there. And for us, I think spiritually speaking, that helps us understand that we do have an enemy. So there's a reason why we need to be alert to an enemy. And in fact, Mark 14, 38 says, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So apparently there's something that we need to be paying attention to so that when it happens, we're already proactive about how we're going to respond to that. Yeah, it's interesting. It covers a lot of different things there because we not only have to be alert with our mind, we're watching what's going on, but we need to be prayed up because it is easy to fall into temptation. And, and I think anybody who is self-aware at all knows that the spirit though willing, wanting to live that righteous life that we're called to, mm. it's so easy to fall in the flesh. Yep. So he's, he's covered a quite a wide range there, but he also gives us the solution. And one of it is being alert mm. and being prayed up so that when those things come that could be of uh, disbenefit to us, yeah. then we're aware of it and we can take the appropriate action. That's true. Uh, that gets me to thinking about a verse in a small group discussion we had a few months ago, the verse, another one about alertness, actually has the word in it from 1 Peter 5.8, which says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, there, that enemy we're talking about, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And the discussion we had as we were talking about 
spirit-transformed personalities was the need to pivot when we understand that we're heading toward the bad part or the destructive part of our personality, because there's an unhealthy leaning that we tend to go to when we're under great stress. And the pivot that was being talked about by that particular personality author, I think is when the Holy Spirit makes us more self-aware. That's the alertness because we're prayed up. We have God's word in our minds, and he's the one who basically takes that trigger and uses it as a flag to go up and say, "Uh uh-oh, you're heading in that direction. (laughs) You're sliding into that unhealthy place. And so this is not going to be the fruit of the spirit coming out now. This is going to be the fruit of the flesh, and you don't want that. So you need to pivot. You need to head back toward the healthy place. And so I think that being alert and prayed up has a lot to do with how we react in our everyday situations because of our personalities. Well, I think it's interesting that he uses the analogy of a lion. You know, I'm sure all of us have seen those National Geographic um, depictions of what happens on the plains in Africa. You know, there's a herd of impalas or there's a pod of zebras and they're looking around. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not see, but they may smell the, the lion. They know something's going on mm-hmm. and they're totally aware that they may have to run away in a hurry should that lion decide to pounce. Yep. And it's good for us to have a plan of escape for when that happens. That's what allows us to pivot because we have practiced it. We're prayed up. We know how we're going to get out of that situation because I've seen this. I mean, we've all seen it among people that we know, I'm sure. One angry outburst at work suddenly can just destroy a job. Or if you keep your job, it destroys your credibility or your witness on the job. Can you think of some other things that happen as we are not alert and we slide into those places that are perhaps not healthy? Well, one of the things, if I can do a shameless plug of my upcoming book, Mm -hmm. uh, in it, I talked about how a moral failure, and the one I used specifically, was not nipping lust in the bud Mm -hmm. and coming into a non-healthy relationship and how that immediately will destroy a relationship, destroy a family, certainly destroy a ministry. Yep. Uh, so much can just just go down the tubes in a heartbeat if someone gives into a relationship that is not condoned in the word. Yeah. You know, if a married man is looking at a, a, another woman, not his wife, yeah. that can easily become a place, a stumbling block that may never be recovered from. Right. You're so right. We just got word last week from somebody that we know lives in a different state. They said, one of my childhood pastors has had an affair, and he had the affair going on for four years without anybody knowing about it, including his wife. And he said, unfortunately for me, that means four out of four, 100% of my childhood pastors have had some sort of failure. That's horrible. What in the world is that person going to think of when he thinks about moral authority or the kind of leadership that we would hope God would have in churches? It's just horrible. And it, uh, it makes me angry until I recognize that none of us are beyond temptation because all of us could fall into that same temptation, which is why we have to be alert, knowing that any one of us could fall at any moment if we give into those things. And if we're not prayed up and staying alert so that we can pivot quickly once we're struck with those temptations. Yeah, it just emphasizes that the the flesh really is weak. Yeah. And when I'm describing that situation in the book, I talk about how every little thought about what if mm-hmm. is just fanning that flame. But the problem is it doesn't start as a flame. It starts as a spark. By the time you realize that you're in serious trouble, there's flames all around and, and you're not going to recover from that. Mm -hmm. That's going to destroy stuff. And uh, it's not going to be pretty when it's over. And the other thing I mentioned is that the whole time it's going on from spark to fully uh, inflamed, the person knows what's going on. Yeah. You know, but the interest there Mm -hmm. You know, playing with that fire is kind of fun 
And then the next thing you know, the whole house is burned down. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the, the pictures I use is a Christmas tree fire, which goes from mm. a tiny flame on the tree to a fully involved sofa, curtains, living room, mm. house in about three minutes. Yeah. Whoosh. Uh, makes me think of Joseph when he ran away literally from something that could have been very tempting because he was put in charge of Potiphar's house. And yet Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was an attractive young man and tried to put the moves on him and literally grabbed a hold of his cloak and he took off without it. So he ran away without any clothes so that he could get away from what was going on. And of course she framed him, gave some fake news and said, he tried to put the moves on me. So he was thrown in prison, even though he didn't do anything wrong. But God eventually blessed him, got him back out of prison, and elevated him to a position of authority and influence in that land. But he did the right thing by running away from it. And I think the thing for us as we're becoming alert is, what are we going to run to as we're running away from something that could be damaging? And that's where we have to have that plan of action, which is why we need small groups of people who are going through the same walk we're going through to support one another so that we can be praying for each other and with each other and to talk about what is your plan? Did you, did you fulfill your plan the last time you were tempted? How did that work? Those are the practical steps people can take, but we have to be in community. It's a together thing that helps us overcome some of those worst temptations that could lead us into a terrible failure. And there's another segment you're talking about community where there can be a problem. And that's where if there's a moment of insensitivity that can result in someone leaving the community uh. or even worse than that, you know, questioning their faith and stepping out of the church completely. And we're seeing that more and more. I watched a YouTube video from a guy who's a commentator and he wrote quite a bit extensively for Christianity Today magazine. And he had done quite a bit of research and he was speaking about why so many people are leaving the organized church. And it's not necessarily because they're folding their faith and sticking it in a closet somewhere. They're actually looking for faith. They want spirituality, but they're not finding it in the church because there've been so many insensitive people in church being rude and uh, prejudiced and saying things that are clearly, they're not empathetic to the needs of others. They're just camping out on what they believe to be true. And then they blurt it out there bluntly and they're not sensitive. And so I think that's a part of why so many people are straying outside organized religion, even though it means they're still hungry for sensing God's presence in their life. And it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody in the community, but maybe somebody who is looking at the community. I have a, a little story. A, a friend of ours visited a small church not far from their house, mm -hmm. and they sat down, and being visitors, it was pretty obvious that uh, they were not a normal part of that congregation. Right. And he said, this big old guy came up. They're sitting. He's standing. He puts his, his foot in a big old cowboy boot up on the pew and says, where are you in your walk with Jesus? Oh, man. <laughs> uh... Yeah, and that was their reaction. They stayed for the service, and they never went back. Uh, that's the stuff that just drives me nuts, because we want sensitivity so that those that we really pray for, uh, we exist for those who live outside our community of faith, because we want to draw them into that community. And that's going to scare them away faster than a nest of scorpions. Yeah, I, I heard that and I just cringed. It was like, how could somebody do that and think that they're exhibiting a Christ-like attitude? Right. This brings me to another difficult part of this whole discussion about being alert. And it pointed out, the discussion I'm about to share with you pointed out my need to be alert and prayed up because I recognized how quickly I can slide into anger in response to hearing things that are going on. I woke up, had one cup of coffee, hadn't had my breakfast yet, and I found out from one member of my family that a person who is a very famous actor, I actually can't remember his name because I haven't watched a whole lot of what he's done, but 
he's a, a little person. And he found out that Disney was going to be doing a live action film based on Snow White. And of course, what do we have in Snow White? The seven dwarves. So this person apparently had said some things from his perspective, thinking that that was probably not going to be a terribly sensitive thing for Disney to do because the term dwarf, which is not really even used anymore to refer to little people, uh, he thought that it was a negative depiction. Now, I haven't walked in his shoes. I don't, I don't have any of the background that he has. And yet I discovered how quickly it was for me to jump to an unhealthy place because I had an immediate visceral negative reaction to what he said. And then I had to unpack that for a minute and think, why am I so angry about this? Because I, I became pretty angry. I thought, that's just stupid. <laughs> how could somebody pick on Disney? And that's one of the most beloved, animated, fictitious character kind of films. You know, that was one of the first films I remember seeing as a kid. And you're going to take that away from me, too, because some word is the wrong word. We can't use it anymore. You know, everything is so un-PC anymore. One person in my family pointed out that if we were to listen to his perspective, we might find out what he went through as a child. And maybe for him, it doesn't have the same feeling that it had to you when you watched that film, which is why we need to listen to each other. And my point of going through all that stuff is that I had to pivot. I had to recognize that I was going to a very unhealthy and possibly damaging place with my anger in a knee-jerk reaction to somebody else's knee-jerk reaction, rather than saying, yeah, we do need to have these nuanced back and forth discussions with people who differ from our point of view so that we can understand each other better and hopefully so that they can see Christ-like attitude in my life and be drawn to Christ in me. And at that moment before my breakfast, I wasn't being very Christ-like in my response to that. <laughs> so would you say that this is a point where we need to see that all of the fruit of the Spirit can fold into that God-given empathy, which we seem to be lacking these days? I think that's an excellent way to say it. You're so right. <laughs> We desperately need all of the fruit, all the aspects of that fruit, because it's a collective. We, we talk about it fruit singular, but it has nine different character qualities. And then we're adding to those nine with other things that we think relate to the fruit of the Spirit. But basically, it just means the character of Christ, because it's His character, His Spirit, that's being lived out through us when we do that. And we desperately need that today, more than any other day, because people are so contentious all around us. You, on a number of occasions, have said that some of the stuff that's happened over the last couple of years have kind of compounded together. So um, are you thinking maybe the, that your reaction had something to do with some of the things that have happened in your life over the last couple of years? I'm positive that that <laughs> has influenced some of my reaction. And part of that is that it's hard for me to even know who I'm angry at. I know I'm angry, but I shouldn't be angry at a guy who's had negative experiences because of his diminutive size. I've had people pick on me for different reasons. When I was in junior high school, I was skinny. I have a slight deformation in my back. And so I hunch a little bit and I had some kid actually pick on me just for the way I walked <laughs> and it was hurtful. And I tried to be more aware of my posture after that, but I haven't walked in his shoes. And so rather than just have a knee-jerk reaction because they're going to rip out some of my good childhood memories of a movie, maybe I need to have the fruit of the Spirit catch that the flame that would burn the Christmas tree of my feelings and start thinking compassionately about this other person and why he may have said what he said. My lovely daughter is the one who pointed out that I probably needed to do that, <laughs> but she did so very diplomatically and very kindly. And her tone was much kinder than my tone was as I was ranting about every word that we used to think was good as being co-opted and we can't say anything anymore and rah, rah, rah. And because we've had people in leadership who have stooped to the level of a seventh grader and call people names and pick on people, and they've not been very good examples of compassion, then I just feel like we've been bombarded with people who are driving us farther and farther away into different camps. And so it's becoming a culture war in which we're caught in the middle as Christians because we want to listen, and yet we don't want to compromise on sharing the truth about the gospel. And that, that for me, brings 
a lot of inner tension. And we're living in that tension. And I hope it's a healthy tension between wanting to be compassionate enough to listen to other people, even if they disagree with us, and yet not giving into their point of view when it comes to something that the Bible says is true. So after you had a moment to get past the situational anger that you had, Mm -hmm. whether it was this morning or somewhere over the past couple of years, did you have a chance to think about who it was you were actually angry with? I did. And I came upstairs, started typing out some notes, and I think better when I'm writing. It helps make things that are chaotic come into uh, a linear, more thoughtful approach. And so writing for me is helpful that way. I was doing that, and I thought, I'm not mad at this guy that I've never met, and I shouldn't be mad at him. I didn't walk in his shoes, and I feel badly that he may have had some experience that has caused pain in his life. I want to be compassionate toward that. And I'm not really mad at this intangible thing called the internet or Twitter or whatever else might be out there that has caused anonymity to allow people to pick on other camps anonymously and to be so rude in doing that because there's no face-to-face interchange with that happening. So I can't be mad at that. It doesn't help anything if I am mad at that. And then I realized I'm mad at the enemy. I'm mad at Satan, who is the one who is the thief. He wants to steal my joy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy anything that's good and anything that's God. And he's the one who's ultimately behind all this divisiveness that we see in our culture today. There's a spirit of division in our whole country. So yeah, I'm just, I'm mad at the enemy. I think that's where my anger is coming from. And if I can be mad at him, that's a righteous anger. And then I can redirect it to him and reserve my compassion for those people who disagree with me so that I can show them compassion while still remaining angry at the one who deserves it. Yeah, I think what that, that points out is that we need to have a very sophisticated, a very high level awareness of our own emotional state all the time. Yeah. You know, we need to be self-alert, you know, aware of everything that's going on inside, not just what's going on outside as the as the sentry might, you know, his focus is outside. Right. But we need to be really aware of what's going on inside so that we can avoid being triggered, avoid saying those mm-hmm. things that are going to be hurtful, avoid mm-hmm. getting into situations that are going to be uh, horribly destructive for you know everything in our lives. And if we can do that, then we set ourselves up for all of those good things that you already mentioned, because we're avoiding those situations, we're avoiding those harsh words, and instead, we are treating people the way we would like to be treated with the love, joy, peace, patience, all of those fruit of the spirits that we've talked about over the last nine weeks. And it is so important to to have that uh, acute awareness of where we are moment by moment. And one of the things I've seen recently is I will hear something most often from my wife and go, don't be triggered by that. She doesn't mean what you're trying to react to and just just nip it in the bud. Don't say anything back. Uh, that wasn't her intent. So just let it go and move on and continue in joy instead of in anger. Yeah, that's good. And that's practical. And it's this daily walk that you and I talk about so often. And man, it is daily because I recognize how quickly I can slide into these bad parts of my personality if I'm not walking daily and processing this stuff to remain alert, prayed up and read up through the word. It's a very practical thing. And I'm so glad, again, we say it often, that we're not nearly what we're going to be. But I'm really grateful that we're not nearly what we used to be. Yeah, one of the things that came to mind when I was looking at this, and I think it it really fits in here where we're um, talking about the practical, And that is all of those skills we learned in driver's ed when they said, practice defensive driving. And from that, they were saying, be aware of what's going on. Look at those other cars. What's happening over here on that side road? Is he going to pull out and not stop at that stop sign? Mm -hmm. Watch the front 
left tire of those approaching cars because if you see it move towards the center line you better get over yeah uh, be aware that on that corner there could be somebody trying to pass you mm -hmm. know all of those things that put you in a state of alertness so that you can react in time and not have an accident when it would be really easy if you were on autopilot and how many times have we done that you you leave church, you end up at home and you go, I hope I didn't run a red light because I don't remember anything that happened mm -hmm. in those few miles that I just drove. Yeah. I was coming home with a friend of mine. His name was Tim. He and I had played trombone in an orchestra out in Sun City for a special uh, event in which Dale Evans was singing. Kids, check with your grandparents on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of triggered. Yes. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> so we were on our way home from that uh, concert and it was pretty late at night. It was way out at that time. Phoenix hadn't grown out as densely in that part of the valley as it has now. So there were several miles when we were driving through just farm fields on each side of the road. And my light was green and I was heading there. I was pretty tired. So I was just sort of zoning out, looking at the green light. Tim in the driver's seat said, that guy's not going to stop. And so I put on my brake and looked over and sure enough, guy ran the red light. He would have plowed right into our car, right in the middle of that intersection. And Tim was alert and he saved our lives that night. Yeah. So defensive driving is a good analogy to what we're trying to do because this recklessness that comes from just not being aware can be really destructive. And you're right. It's something we have to constantly be in that awareness, the alertness, so vital in our Christian walk. Yeah. A few years ago, I was working in an industry that required me to drive a truck that was regulated by the U.S. Department of Transportation. And so we had to have training uh, periodically, at least once a month. And a lot of it had to do with driving offensively or not in an aggressive way, but always planning ahead, being aware of what was in front of us, what was on the sides of us, not so much in a in a, a, a defensive manner, but like in the case where, where Tim saved your lives, mm -hmm. he made an offensive tactic to slow you down because of something that he saw. Yeah. I'm grateful for the times when the Spirit has prompted me because I have been prayed up, and it makes me want to be in that state more often because you realize that, oh, that could have been a catastrophic failure had I not been aware and not gone down that road. And it helps me be more empathetic and more aware of other people and what they might be going through as well, if I'm in that process of being self-aware. Well, and I think that's something that's important, because we do need to be alert to the needs of those around us. Mm -hmm. I applaud my wife for being that. She has been in social work for much of her life, and she's so good at it. One time, in fact, she kind of endangered herself, and she was walking behind a downtown series of shops so that the parking was very off the main drag there and behind these shops. And she overheard an argument taking place, and there was a young man who was basically starting to take, I, I think it was his girlfriend, I don't think they were married, by the hair and was trying to drag her up the stairs into the apartment where they lived. And she was saying, I don't want to do this. Let me go. And she was calling him by name. I, I'm going to use a word because I can't remember what his name was. Let's call him Jeff. But Joy heard this young lady who was in a dire situation referring to this boyfriend as Jeff. So she just stopped right there where she was and said, hey, Jeff. And that caught him off guard enough that he turned and said, yeah. And she said, um, this young lady doesn't want to go with you. And she said, honey, why don't you just come with me for a minute? You want to walk over here? And it shocked him so much that it, it took him out of his anger because he didn't expect somebody to just call him by name like that. And he let go, knowing that people were actually watching him do this. And she walked over and got by joy. And she said, do you need me to take you somewhere? She says, no, I have somewhere I can go. And uh, I think she said something like, why don't you just go cool off for a few minutes, Jeff? And she didn't escalate the situation. She de-escalated it, but she was very aware. And I don't know too many people who would have been willing to risk their own safety by speaking up in that situation, but she did. And that's a part of that 
spirit-led compassion for other people that allows us to enter a moment, but because she was prayed up and read up, she had the Holy Spirit's unction to do the right thing in that moment, and it turned out really well in that case. Yeah, and she did it in a non-confrontational way. She was able to create some space yeah. and allow things to cool down a little bit. It was a beautiful illustration of what happens without us needing to return anger for anger. And it showed me what kind of thing happened. I guess it kind of reminds me a little bit of what Jesus did when that lady was caught in adultery and they were going to throw stones at her. And he didn't get angry and go beat up the bullies. He just started writing in the dirt. And then he said, uh, let the sinless one cast the first stone. But he was quiet in the way he dislodged all of that anger and they all walked away. Same kind of thing that happened there. But that's what happens when the fruit of the spirit gets involved in a person's real daily lives that we can have a positive influence on other people. Yeah, so are there other ways that we can start looking at the needs of others, you know, maybe in our community that, uh, you know, it may not be um, you know, blatantly obvious, or there may be something from an outside source that says, here's a need. Mm -hmm. um, is, is there a way that you and, and your community might be able to help with that? Uh, yeah, what's coming to mind right now is what our church is getting involved with. I just talked about it last Sunday. Um, we found out about quite a few of the Afghan refugees who had been housed on American military bases, and they're being sent into America in different locations. We're having quite a few who are being sent right into our backyard here in southeastern lower Michigan. So one of the persons in our church the wife of one of our elders, highly respected family. She said, I saw that and my heart broke. And I thought, what would I be like if I had to be kicked out of my country in a moment's notice? And I had very little time to pack up anything. And I just had to walk away and leave my country behind and my home. She said, so I just felt like we should do something about that. And we are doing something about that because we found out that Samaritan's Purse is working with the State Department of our government to help with local churches that will sponsor a family. And so we're a small congregation, but we said, this is a God-sized task, and yet we're going to trust him for the resources. We're going to take on sponsoring an Afghan refugee family. So we're working our plan together now. We had a meeting last night, in fact, with our steering team, and uh, it's going to be a stretch for all of us and it's the right thing to do. It, you know, it, it's fleshing out exactly what Jesus was talking about in the story of the Good Samaritan. Which one of these is my neighbor? <laughs> and they are our neighbors too, and they literally will be physically our neighbors. And how are they going to see God and, uh, and his true character qualities and know the truth about the gospel unless people befriend them enough so they can see it and hear it, and they need to see it from us. So we're actually adopting a family, so to speak. And We've put a target date of March 15th, which is six weeks from now, as to when our plan is going to be all together. And once we're approved in our plan, Samaritan's Purse said that it could be as quickly as three days after our plan is approved before we'd actually meet the family they're going to pair up with us. And then we'll help them find doctors in the area and get their kids in school. So there's a lot involved in it. It's, it's a bigger project than we've ever encountered, and it just feels like the right thing to do. And so we're trying to become aware of needs of others, and it's helping take the focus off of ourselves, quite frankly, which is already a good thing, because we've spent the last two years of our lives, everybody looking out for number one because of a pandemic, and we need to be looking for other people. Yeah, one of the things that, that left to mind to, to me right there was talking about how we're supposed to take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And in this case, the uttermost parts of the earth are coming to you. I mean, exactly. there probably wouldn't be a lot of interaction between your church community and the people of Afghanistan. And yet here is the opportunity to not only meet them, but impact their lives in a very positive ways on a lot of different levels. Yeah, no kidding. And it's a beautiful thing. I, I got moved last night in the meeting because one of the persons had said, we've only been talking about this for prayer reasons for about two weeks now in our church. And this person said, I'm already having people say, we have brand new mattresses that didn't fit. Can we donate them to the new family? And they said, well, we'll need to find somebody that has space. And they thought of one family that has a larger house. And they called them and said, would you have enough space in your house for these things? And they said, well, we'll go you one better. 
we happen to own a storage facility. That's one of our businesses. So we will gift you a storage room so that we can start putting these things in. And this started to happen before we even had our plan together. And so people are already immediately starting to step up and saying, oh, I've got four bags of clothes I was going to donate to a thrift store. I'm going to hang on to those because we may get a family with young kids and maybe these clothes will fit them. It's bringing out compassion in people in ways that I have not seen in quite a while. And it, it made me teary-eyed. And it was great because I thought this is making us alert to the needs of others and not just always concerned about ourselves. So are there other things that we should have an acute alertness for, if I can do that in an improper grammar manner? That was proper enough because I knew exactly what you meant. Um, I typed in the word alert in my Bible search software online, and a couple of the verses that came back immediately have to do with being alert to the fact that Jesus is coming back again. Christ is coming back. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. But be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. And then it was that little parable. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their own assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. That was from Mark 13. We need to be alert that Christ is coming back again. So we ought to be busy about doing the work of the kingdom so that when he does come back, we won't be going, uh-oh, we'll be able to say, Yahoo, you're here and you're ushering in the next chapter and you're going to restore everything in the way that you have in mind to do that. We're so glad that you're going to be in charge now. And we need to be alert to, the, to that fact and not just become complacent, which is that you'd said at the very beginning, the opposite of alertness is complacency. Yeah, I was reminded of the, the parable where one person is given so many talents, another is given twice as many, and one is given just one, mm -hmm. and he buries it in the ground. And then what does he do? Well, he goes to the beach, he catches some rays, has a Mai Tai on, uh, watches the waves lap, doesn't do anything. But while the other ones are out there working, doing something to increase what mm -hmm. the master has given them. Yeah. And I think we all need to be about that task of yeah. using those the, the talents that we have for the kingdom is mm -hmm. everybody has them. Everybody's been gifted with something. And there are lost souls out there that need to come into a relationship with Christ. And we may be the only Christ that they ever see. So we need to be about that work not sitting on the beach watching the waves slap up on our, uh, you know, on our little toes. It's a daily walk that we have to be part of the process of reaching the lost. Yep. And I see the pendulum swing because I, I think of that guy that you said in that church uh, who just put his boot right up in the guy and said, where are you in your walk with Jesus? That's not the way we want to be busy about doing the work of the kingdom. We want to be alert to the sensitivity required that the Holy Spirit can give us so that we understand how best to approach the people that he puts in our path so that they can clearly see Christ at work in our lives. And then we can have a good ready response to them when they need more information about the gospel. So we need to live it and we need to speak it. And all that folds into this character quality stuff as he's molding his character in us. Yeah, and I think there's a, an element of persistence there too. You know, in my case, I'm the exception. I heard the gospel. I mean, I, I had the presentation of the gospel exactly one time before I made my decision. Wow. And that is really rare. Yeah. You know, they say it might be three times, might be five times, might be seven times. Who knows how many times mm -hmm. somebody needs to be confronted with the truth. So just because we present the gospel one time doesn't mm -hmm. mean we're done. No. That's why the relationship is so important because you're planting the seed and then they're watching. You know, what does a Christian life mean to this person who said, I need it? And then you'll have another opportunity yeah. to come back and address those issues that the, the, the person may have. Yeah, no kidding. Relationship, relationship, relationship. So vital. Instead of being that, uh, I'm going to put another notch in my Bible kind of guy that comes in there, choo, 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 shooting off the gospel at people. Man, that, that's not going to accomplish a whole lot. No, and in fact, you know, I, I heard the gospel one time, but it was from a friend of mine that I knew was a Christian. Mm, yeah. 
So I had the opportunity to, you know, see what it meant in his life, even though I wasn't necessarily aware mm -hmm. of what I was watching. Yeah. And yeah. I had influence from many friends. And after I made my decision, I learned that there were, I would say, literally scores of people who were praying for me. Wow, that's neat. That were people that I knew. And, you know, how important is that for the people whose lives you want to impact need to be bathed in prayer all the time? Yeah. Because you never know when that opportunity is going to come. And the funny thing was, I started the conversation. <laughs> that's great. And, and that's what we see in First Peter. It says, you know, be ready hmm. when somebody has a question. Yeah. You know, have an answer for what it is that they're seeing in your life that is different mm -hmm. and has sparked an interest. Yeah. And when you give that answer, do it with gentleness and respect, aspects of the fruit of the spirit, rather than whopping them up the side of the head with a, a phrase like, where are you in your walk with Jesus? <laughs> you know, and we kind of tried to diffuse that a little bit, but... He's not going to remember our answer as much as he is that cowboy boots sitting right there on the pew beside him. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I've been so frustrated with uh, watching fellow believers. And I believe many of them are, I really do, but they may have meant well, but there've been so many people who have just behaved, I think very poorly and not with the fruit of the spirit in how they have come across on defending things they have made huge in their minds related to the pandemic. And I think we need to elevate the gospel and many of these disputable matters that we have used as divisive techniques, they will shrink in comparison with the exalted Christ in our lives. We need to exalt Christ. We need to keep the gospel at the forefront and we need to keep loving people regardless of where they are on those disputable matters because they desperately need to see Christ's love. And I want that more than ever after this last two years. And I'm praying that God will reignite a sense of being prayed up because we need to be alert through prayer. Ephesians 6, 18 even says that pray in the spirit at all times. And on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So God's reminding me that I need to be prayed up and alert to my own temptations that can lead me into an unhealthy place so that I wind up burning the house down or the Christmas tree. But also we need to be praying for those other believers, including the ones who disagreed with me on certain points that they thought were important that I didn't think were as important during the pandemic. I still need to be praying for them. And I need to be praying that all of us will be drawn into unity so that people will say, wow, I can tell they're really believers by the way they love each other. I really am desperate for that kind of church to grow in this divisive climate that we are living in right now. Yeah, I think that's so important, you know, being alert for what the needs are that we can be praying for, even if we don't have, you know, a personal impact in that situation right now, yeah. but also being persistent. You know, we need to be constantly looking towards what it is we need to be praying for, constantly praying in the spirit for those things. And one of the things, and I, I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imaginations, but I'd like to think when it says, for all believers everywhere, that includes the believers that are current and those future believers who are going to respond to the gospel. Yeah. And that's something that we may want to do right now. That's a really good idea. I, I think it was in Jesus' prayer uh, right around toward the end of John's gospel when Jesus was praying for his disciples. And he said, and not just for these disciples only, but for those who will come in the future as well. So I think you're probably right. I suspect that there's a a tense to that word in that phrase that we just looked at. So let's do that. Uh, I will lead a sample prayer. And if one of you fellow theologians know somebody that would like to pray a prayer like this, it's helping equip you to help guide them through the process if you want to someday. And it may be that you're the one who needs to pray this prayer to get that journey started. And it would go something like this. Father, I recognize that uh, we are in a world of divisiveness and people are so contentious and just hurling insults at one another, right and left. And everybody wants to be right. And not too many people want to listen to one another. And I'm praying that you will 
come into my life and help me become a part of the solution rather than just a part of the problem. Help me to be transformed from the inside out by your Holy Spirit so that you can just start growing these character qualities into my life and that they will be lived out through me to others so that I too can become more alert, not only to myself and to my own tendencies and how I might come across, but that I'll be sensitive to other people's needs, make me sensitive to what they need and help me to be prayed up as I pray for them and as I pray for how I can help meet those needs and how I can help share this truth about you being the, the true need in our world today, because you're the only one who holds the answers. You're the only one who holds the key to our greatest needs. It's not going to be fixed through politics. It's not going to be fixed through science. It's not going to be fixed through any of the stuff that we're seeing that the major news networks would like us to think uh, are needed. We need Christ above all. And I pray that you will be the preeminent person in my life and that I will build my life around you. Thank you for being willing to walk beside me and to live in me through your spirit. And I do want that transformation to be happening. Thank you that you promised that when you start that work, you'll complete it. You're never going to leave me. You won't forsake me. And so by inviting you in, I know that you're going to be completely committed to helping me live my life so I can become fully mature in Christ. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's always good to be reminded from the scriptures. You know, I've just been convicted in the last few minutes that I have not necessarily been as consistent or persistent in praying for believers everywhere because yeah. we could be in the last days. And yeah. at some point, that last person is going to make their decision and usher in a whole new age. Yep. And, you know, it's going to take believers to make that happen. So yeah. uh, I need to be building them up through my prayers so that they have that consistent walk that will lead others, that will avoid those temptations that will get in the way and yeah. will really make an impact on the world in what may be a very short amount of time. No kidding. I agree wholeheartedly. And I used to kind of chuckle a little bit about the people who are sort of the doomsday prophets and saying, oh, we're heading in the last days. And now I see we've got earthquakes happening in places that we haven't seen them a lot. My own kids will text us and say, oh, we had another earthquake. And they're down in a place where we really haven't seen very many reported. And then we're getting all the climate change folks and we're getting all the other folks that are talking about gloom and doom. And then, of course, we've had the pandemic and new variants and all this stuff. And who knows? Maybe yeah, these are the birth pains. Wars and rumors of wars and all of those yeah. things that we see in Matthew 24 are yeah. playing out on the nightly news. And it it's is. like, I mean, if we're not in the last days, we're at least one day closer than we were yesterday. So we need to be about the kingdom work. Yep. Amen to that. And if he comes back again, uh, that means that the last person's name that was supposed to be written in that Lamb's book of life has been written. And all those who are under Christ's care, it's going to be party time. We're, we're going to be so glad that all this divisiveness and contentiousness is over because we'll be under Christ's control, Christ's care. But for those who are outside of Christ, it's going to be the worst thing imaginable. And so that's why we're, we're pretty serious about trying to keep that gospel out there. And we want more and more people to come in under the leadership of Jesus Christ, because we want to take as many with us as possible when that time does come. And there's certainly an altruistic motive for that, because we want those people, you know, if we, if we want the ultimate good that we talked about when we talked about love to be sure. in that person's life, of course, it's a relationship with Christ who will then allow that person to spend eternity in heaven instead of in hell. Yeah. But yet there's a selfishness to it, too, because the faster everybody comes to Christ that is going to, the sooner it's all going to happen. So yeah, uh, it, it, you know, we, we want to look at the right motives, but there's, there's so often a little element of selfishness in so much that we do. Yeah, it can't help but creep in as part of our motives for some of that stuff. But you're right. We got to check that too. That's part of being yeah. alert. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been good. And I'm glad that God has helped us start to weave through some real life things in 
talking about alertness as one of the character qualities of a believer. And it's amazing to me how often these discussions start to become more acutely a part of what's driving me each week, because it speaks to me and my current need. I mean, I, it was current as of just a few hours ago today <laughs> because of some of the stuff that I was discussing with my own family. And it's obvious that God is still working these things out. So it is a daily walk for sure. And it's interesting because we originally had a different topic scheduled for today. That's true. In the last few days, we changed to alertness and it impacts your life immediately with something that happened this morning. I don't think that was an accident. I don't either. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm glad that you and I continue to be a part of that community of faith because I think this is mutually edifying. We grow through it. And if nobody else gets anything from these things, you and I have been really encouraging one another in our walk. And I appreciate that, my brother. I do too. And uh, if that's the case, we can't help but think that other theologians may be getting something out of these as well, because we always bring it back to the scripture because that's the number one source of everything. Yeah. I mean, Amen. The, the, the word is, is Jesus. Yeah. That's so it. the Logos. And um, when we speak the word, we're speaking him. Yep. That's what we got to point to. You got it. Absolutely true. Uh, fellow theologians, thanks for hanging in there. If you've hung in there this long through a lengthy discussion about alertness, you've been very alert, and I appreciate it. And uh, we do hope that you will like and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. And if you need to get in touch with us, you can do so through our website. That is mondayafternoontheologians.podia.com, or you can just email us at mondayafternoontheologians at gmail.com. Let us know if this caused you to think about something in a different way, or if it angered you. We, you could even say that. Or if it encouraged you in some way, or if you have a prayer request, we'd love to hear from you. And we hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon. Theologians. 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 Theologians.